Thank you, Brother Jerry. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Just got back late last night from uh, Louisville. I was privileged to speak on why we believe the King James Bible to uh, 40 or 50 pastors at a fellowship there. And um, that was fun. Um, Very nerve-wracking, though. And then last night, I uh, was privileged to speak again to him late in the evening, and so uh, my voice is a little bit weak because um, I got loud a couple times. Um, but I, I'm, there, there's, to me, there, there's no place I'd rather be than here, and uh, I, I just am nervous, a nervous wreck when I go to places like that, and, and I, I thank you for making me feel comfortable and loved, and um, I really do appreciate it. On Wednesday nights, when I've been speaking, we've been going through the book of uh, Colossians, verse by verse. Uh, I haven't spoken a while on Wednesday, even though I don't uh, normally go this long, other than in the summers. We had that missionary that's going to, uh, you know, the place in the world where it's dangerous, and he was in the area, and so I gave him my last turn. So it was the 1st of February when I spoke last on a Wednesday, and you probably don't remember, but we talked about Paul warning them to beware of Jewish religious traditions. And we talked together about how that issue was the hot uh, button topic in first century Christianity. Uh, The place and role of Judaism and Jewish traditions in the Lord's churches. Now we have hot button issues today. Uh, It's just ours are different than they were in the first century. I mean, the place and role of Uh, Judaism and Jewish traditions, I mean, it's like no issue at all in American Christianity other than maybe this little sidebar issue of people throwing the term legalism around to describe anybody or any church who's stricter than they are. But Jesus and the apostles, since they were all Jewish, and because the gospel was first to the Jew, uh, you could imagine that everywhere they went, Uh, Judaism and Jewish customs, you know, it was an issue uh, in churches. And so the Lord, these new uh, disciples, that they would try to convince them that they needed to be circumcised and keep the Jewish holy days and uh, the Jewish diet and all these sorts of things to be saved or or stay saved. And Paul reminded them uh, that as believers in Christ, they already had spiritual circumcision of the heart. They were already complete in Christ and that Judaism and Jewish customs added nothing to them whatsoever. And we talked again and we're reminded how uh, there's a difference in the moral laws of God, in the law of Moses and the religious laws of God uh, through Moses. Remember, the moral laws of God, those are unchangeable. Those are based on the unchangeable character of God. Those are the same today uh, as they ever were. But the religious laws, when God, uh, through Moses, established the religion of Judaism, all those religious laws, they were fulfilled in Christ. And we saw last time how those uh, things were blotted out and that they were just a shadow of the things to come. Uh, And Paul has repeatedly, as we've gone through these early chapters of Colossians, made clear uh, the standing of the Colossian believers, the fact that they were already complete in Christ, 
Their standing, their standing was that they were buried and risen with Christ as symbolized in their baptism. Their standing was that they were already forgiven for their trespasses. And their standing in Christ was the foundation for them rejecting the false teachers of these Judaizers who insisted that they do these Jewish things to get saved or stay saved. And now, having made clear their standing and a false doctrine, he's going to get more practical. It's not like our standing in Christ, who we are in Christ now, is not practical in our state, the parts of our standing that we actually have in our possession. It's not like those aren't practical. But Paul is going to make further application of these great truths. If you are able to stand, if you would stand tonight, please, in honor of God's Word, Uh, The title of my thought tonight is Attention and Affection on Things Above. Attention and Affection on Things Above. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things in the earth, for ye are dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time, when you lived in them. Thank you, you might be seated. Paul begins this particular section of the Scripture with where their standing in Christ should cause them to seek. That's what he says in verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. You see, the standing of every believer is very special. We've talked about this many times as we've gone through these early chapters of the book of Colossians. We are now forgiven in Christ. We are now justified. We are now sanctified. We are now already righteous in God's eyes in Christ. And the grace that gave us those things and more is not intended to leave our life without impact. You see, what God has given us in Christ should motivate us to seek those things that are above. Have you ever thought about this? The places we look determine what we will find. I've got a a drawer in uh, in one of our dressers uh, that has a lot of things in it. I mean, I can find anything from a belt buckle that belonged to my dad's mom, to a rusty knife that belonged to my mom's dad, to ace wrap bandages, to mini screwdrivers. I mean, it's all in there. And it used to be great if I needed something that was going, would be in there, but now other people get in there. But for the most part, if, I, if I'm looking for a tool, I don't go there. I, I go into our garage and I go to our, my, my workbench and I look in one of the boxes or drawers there. Uh, if I'm looking for my fishing stuff, and say amen to fishing stuff. Uh, listen, I don't know what I pay per pound for fish I catch 
based on the amount of money I have in gear versus the fish I catch. But listen, I am paying hundreds of dollars per pound. But if I want to find fishing gear, I go under the steps in our basement. If I'm looking for $20 bills, I don't go to garbage cans. If I'm looking for love, I don't go to my neighbor's. If I'm looking for encouragement in my faith, I'm not looking to this unsaved world to find it. See, if you and I are looking for the things that Jesus Christ values, we must look above where Christ dwells rather than in this world or around us. You remember our position? He alludes it to it here in verse 12. He said, we are buried with Him in baptism, wherein also we are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God who has raised Him from the dead. In our baptism, we picture the death and burial of Jesus when we go under the water and we picture His resurrection when we come up out of the water and we actually also picture what happens when we are saved. We die. And we come up out of the water with God's intention being that we live in the newness of life following Jesus. And here, if you're risen with Christ, if you're saved and that's your position, you're risen with Christ, He says, listen, seek the things that are above. You know, if you and I want to find unconditional acceptance and love as a person, we need to look above to heaven to our Father who unconditionally loves us and accepts us in Christ. I I mean, I get it. We can and should find some love and acceptance of us as a person in God's people. And by the way, I believe we basically do. But if you want love and acceptance perfectly expressed to you, you must look above. See, when you and I want to find true righteousness and holiness, we have to look to heaven, to our Father who is perfectly holy, who never does anything that is anything other than perfectly righteous or perfectly good. I know, you can and should be able to come to the house of God and be with the people of God and find those to a measure, and I think we generally can, but understand, the only place those exist in perfection is above. And so because of their position in Christ, who they were in Christ as believers, Paul commands them to seek heavenly things rather than earthly ones. You know, one of the biggest problems you and I have as Christian people is we're looking for spiritually valuable things in the wrong places. I think all of us find it easy to seek things in this life. To seek things in this world. So why is it so easy? Because that's what everybody around us is doing. And we live in this world. And all we can see the things of God and heavenly things, we have to see them through eyes of faith. But whereas everything else around us, we're just looking at them through physical eyes constantly. And so it becomes easy to begin to seek what this world has to offer more than heavenly things. Listen, it isn't that you and I shouldn't seek to have a good job or to seek to have a good skill or an education. It's not bad to seek a decent place to live or have a hobby or two while, while we're here alive. Listen, but the focus of what you and I sh- seek should be heavenly things. Let me ask you, are you seeking the approval and rewards of Jesus Christ more than the approval and rewards in this life? 
By the way, that's one of the things that's above. The rewards of God. How much thought do you give to your heavenly reward? I think sometimes we don't give it enough thought. The New Testament talks about that all the time. How much thought do you give to what you'll have one day when you die versus what you have here? Listen, I'm not implying, nor do I believe God implies, we shouldn't care about what we have here. I don't believe that's what He's teaching us. He's just teaching us, listen, when it comes to what we seek, we ought to seek the things that are above more than we seek the things of this life. That is our position. We're in Christ. We're already risen with Him as pictured in our baptism. Most of us need regular reminders to seek heavenly things more than we seek earthly things, and so Paul does that. But he doesn't stop with this instruction to seek things that are above. He continues with where, with what they're standing in Christ should cause them to love. See, it's not just what we seek, it's also what we love. Notice in verse 2 what he says there. He says, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And of course, the standing of every believer is very special. We are forgiven. We are justified. We are sanctified. We have the righteousness of Jesus Christ in God's eyes and the grace of God gave us those things and more. But God didn't just give us those to leave us without any impact of those things in our life. What God has given us and what He has made us in Christ should motivate us to set our affection on things that are above. Keep your hand there. Go back in your Bible to Matthew 6. This was uh, one of the memory verses that Brother Scotty put together for us not too long ago. By the way, I believe this is one of the great Bible principles in the statements of Jesus. Listen, everything Jesus said is good. I mean, every word out of his mouth was the word of God. Uh, But there are mountain peaks even among the things that Jesus said because the things, in some cases, were specially applicable and specially easy to understand. This is specially applicable. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21, and it goes with what Paul's teaching. He says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. See, This is the secret to getting our heart in the right place. This is the secret to getting our affection in the right place. Decide what you are going to treasure most, and ultimately what you choose to treasure will be where your heart will go. In fact, Jesus teaches this on the heels of literally the same thing that Paul is teaching in verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. (laughs) Where's your treasure? Whatever it is you choose to treasure, if it's heavenly things or earthly things, ultimately your heart is going to go on what you decide to treasure. Decide to treasure some sport or activity for yourself or your child, your heart will go to that. 
Decide to treasure some hobby or activity you like to do. Your heart will go to that. Decide to treasure your job, your wealth, your retirement, your vacation spot. Your heart will go there. It is the way the human heart is designed. God designed the human heart, and you and I choose what we treasure, and our heart will choose to go follow what we choose to treasure. What we decide to treasure becomes where our affection goes. Now, neither Jesus nor Paul are implying that there are not some things in this life we should treasure. There are some things we clearly should treasure in this life. Listen, you should treasure your spouse. You should treasure your children. You should treasure your home, your health, your ministry, the Lord's church. There are a lot of things on earth that we should treasure and that should get some of our affection. I mean, understand that if God wanted to be the sole recipient of human affection, He never would have created Eve. Do you realize that when he made Eve for Adam, what God in effect did is, Adam, some of the affection and attention and time you were given me now goes to your wife. God God never did want to be the only thing we love or the only thing that we talk to or the only thing that matters in life. He, He just, because he's our creator and because he's our savior, he deserves the top spot. Hear me when I say the human heart is not like a plant programmed by design to turn toward the sunshine. Whatever you and I with our will choose to treasure, our heart will turn there. What do you treasure? How careful are you with what you allow yourself to treasure? Have you come to recognize that if you allow yourself to treasure the wrong things or wrong people, it will turn away your heart from the best things? I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, well, we just grew apart. And I always think to myself, well, that only happened because you let it happen. It happens to people in the church. Well, I just don't feel about that place like I used to feel. Why'd you let that happen? And if you're honest, you feel your heart or someone that your heart should be on. (laughs) The fact of the matter is, is that most of us need regular reminders to keep focusing our affection on heavenly things more than earthly ones. And so Paul does that. But he doesn't just tell them that because of their standing in Christ, they should seek the things that are above. And he doesn't just tell them that because of their standing in Christ that they should set their affection on things above. He also reminds them that where they're standing makes a difference on where they will be when Christ returns. Go back to our text, if you would please, in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. He said, for you are dead. Your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. 
Now remember, the most basic rule of Bible interpretation is when the plain sense of the Scripture makes common sense, we seek no other sense. And so when the Bible makes some kind of a statement, like, for ye are dead, and we're breathing, and our heart is beating, and we're reading it, we realize that, wow, the common sense there, the plain sense doesn't make common sense. There is another sense. S-E-N-S-E-C-E? Yeah, that. That he's talking about. Hey, listen, I've got spell checker on words, so I don't... Am I the only one who like hardly ever handwrites anything anymore? And my handwriting uh, used to be pretty good, and then over the decades, I mean, it's got horrendous. Fact of the matter is, (laughs) is that they were dead in Christ. That's the way they were supposed to view their life. Again, pictured by what happened to them in baptism, they were supposed to be dead to themselves and dead to this life. I I don't, if you've ever figured out the secret of how you can regularly and easily die to yourself, please share it with me and I'll try it. And if it works, I'll tell everybody. I have three cards on the little pull-out drawer by my computer keyboard, and one of those cards says, die to self. Dead to promotion and wealth in this life. Dead to the pride that comes when we let compliments go to our head. Dead to the discouragement and depression or anger that comes when we're criticized. You, you realize the, the, the reason that you respond so strongly when someone says something or fails to do, say something is you're not dead to yourself yet. And the reason that so many things go so much to our head and cause us to be pride in, in our heart is we're not dead to ourselves yet. See, how, how does a corpse respond to a compliment? How does a corpse respond to criticism? Did you do your hair today? By the way, this is a a truth that's repetitively taught in the New Testament because it's so hard to do. Keep your hand there. Go to Galatians 2.20. This was a memory verse too. Scotty gave me my notes for tonight. Sharon fought him for it. She likes to make them. He won. Galatians 2.20. If you've never memorized this verse, you should. It's just a great Bible truth. Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's exactly what Paul is talking about in Colossians. (laughs) Taught the same thing in Galatians. 
fact, he taught the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, 31. He said, I die daily. See, Paul, it's how he handled his own desires when his desires were contrary to Christ's desires. Are you dead? It's how Paul handled his plans when his plans were contrary to God's plans for his life. Are you dead? I honestly, personally, I don't believe that God ever expects us to have no will or that God expects us to have no plans or that God expects us to have no opinion. I don't believe that. I believe God gave us a mind to think. I believe what God expects us to do is that whenever our plans or our schedule or our thinking is contrary to what He has said, I believe that we're supposed to yield to God. Have you ever thought about this? This whole idea that as a Christian person, we're supposed to be dead to ourselves, it is literally the opposite of the message of Joel Olstein, Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn, and every other prosperity gospel preacher there is. We are not trying to live our best life now. We are not trying to make as much money as we can now. We are not trying to live in as nice of a house as we can possibly afford now. We are not trying to rise as high in the corporate ladder as we can possibly rise now. We are not trying to have the biggest 401k that we can possibly accumulate in life. I get it. We need some of those things. But there's something desperately wrong when the way we look at those things is the same way our world looks at them. Are you dead yet? In fact, it's an interesting observation that as American Christianity has become increasingly focused on politics and increasingly focused on having as much stuff and filling out your life's personal pleasure bucket list that we've become, by and large, ineffective and powerless. If you've got a bucket list, let me just ask you just a, a, a pretty dumb question. What's on there that pleases God? Well, why are all the things you want to do in life about you? Have you ever, ever wondered, is that contrary to you and I being crucified with Christ? Is that contrary to Paul saying, I die daily? Is that contrary at all to the fact that my life doesn't belong to me? And I'm not implying, don't go on vacations. I'm not implying, don't have a nice house. I'm not, imp I, I, what I'm saying and I'm not implying is there's something wrong when our priorities and the things we seek in life are literally no different than this unsaved world. We're supposed to be dead to that stuff. And I can't speak for you, but I can speak for myself when I say I find it hard to die to myself and to be alive instead to the Lord Jesus and His plan for my life. But when you and I choose to do so, we actually live out what God has already made us in Christ. And according to Jesus, that's how we find life. Are you dying to yourself? Did you die to yourself today? Does Christ have more of your life today than he used to have? 
I don't believe anybody gets saved and then they're just dead to, dead to themselves just automatically. I don't believe that. I believe when Christ comes in our life, there's some things that automatically change in the mind and the accounting of God. But I think the practical application of those things, our state, if you will, is the work of a lifetime. Are you more dead to yourself today than you were a year ago? If you're not, you're not growing in Christ. See, seeking things above and setting our affection on them and being dead to ourselves has a practical effect on our life. And that's how Paul applies and closes out this section of the Scripture, beginning in verse 5. He says, mortify therefore. Remember, whenever you read therefore in your Bible, what do you do? You ask what it's there for. It is a linking word, like wherefore. And so Paul is going to link what he's about to say with what he just said. Because of our position in Christ, we seek things above. Because of our position in Christ, we set our affection on things above. Because of our position in Christ, we are dead to ourselves Mortify, therefore, verse 5, your members which are upon the earth. He's going to list five things. Practical effects. By the way, the word mortify means to be dead. Five things, practically speaking, we should be dead to in light of what he just taught us. Notice these five things. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. First, fornication. Second, uncleanness. Thirdly, inordinate affection. Fourthly, evil concupiscence. Fifthly, covetousness, which he further defines as idolatry. In verse 6, he says, For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Brother, would you agree with me if the wrath of God comes on the children of, of disobedience for those things, those would be good things to get out of our life? In fact, he reminds them that, hey, God saved you and changed you from those things in verse 7. In the which ye also walked sometime. When ye lived in them, it's past tense. See, now that they're in Christ, those things are supposed to be dead to them. They're supposed to be behind them. He lists fornication first, sexual immorality of any sort. Of course, this includes pornography. In fact, the word translated here as uh, fornication literally is the word that became our English word pornography. We should be dead to that. The second thing he lists is uncleanness. And in the New Testament, that word kind of strikes us a bit unusual because it's really a word that is linked with ceremonial uncleanness in the Old Testament. Where a priest or a Jewish citizen would touch a dead body, they'd be ceremonially unclean, you know, depending on what happened, sometimes just to the evening, sometimes for seven days. Or they touched some animal that God said, this is not the kind of animal I want you to eat or touch because God's people have always supposed to have been distinct and separate from the unsaved world around them. We mainly associate it with that. But in New Testament times, it really just refers to anything in our life that's not right that would hinder us from 
serving Christ. You know, those unclean things in the Old Testament, they're pretty clearly defined as God handled and established the laws of Judaism. And He just basically says to you and I, hey, listen, if there's something wrong that makes you unclean and unfit and unready to serve Jesus, fix it. Be dead to those things. Notice the third thing, inordinate affection. Inordinate just means disproportional. Affection that affection that is disproportional to the amount and kind of affection that someone or something should have. We are to mortify disproportional affection. should be dead to us. Uh, uh, listen, uh, I like to watch Duke basketball, but you know what? It's inordinate affection if I like it too much. I like to watch the Bengals. I used to watch Tom Brady play. So I don't like him. Well, he's from Michigan. Guys lived a tough life, man. Sarcastic. But but listen, there there is a kind of affection for any hobby, like I like to fish, or any sport, like I like. There's a kind of affection that's too much affection to give to that. He says, be dead to that. Listen, you can give too much or too little affection to your wife. You can give too much or too little affection to your children. You can give too much or too little affection to the church. You can give too much or too little affection to your ministry. By the way, I believe you can give too much or too little affection to God. God does not expect to be the sole recipient of our affection. It was God that told husbands to love your wife unconditionally. It was God that told us to love one another. There is a disproportional and inordinate kind of affection that can go high or low towards literally everything. And he says, listen, because you are dead to, to, to yourself, because your affections are set in things above, because you're seeking things above, because of your position in Christ, I want you to have a balanced affection. Notice the fourth thing, evil concupiscence. I don't, honestly, I don't ever use the word concupiscence in a sentence. It just means lusts. And so evil concupiscence are lusts that are misdirected. God intended all of that to be between a husband and a wife. And any time that our desires are towards something or someone that is not the way God established it, listen, that is evil concupiscence and we should be dead to that. By the way, it's not easy. Every television show, every television commercial, every anything in our culture is just filled with all these things. I mean, we're just bombarded with them constantly. And it will be the daily task of a follower of Jesus who wants to stay close to Him to do these things, to die to ourselves, to mortify unhealthy desires. And the last thing he lists is covetousness. Covetousness is the kind of thing we generally take lightly. Kind of interesting, it's the only one of the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament to which there was no penalty. 
Say there was no penalty. That's right, because man cannot judge covetousness. God can. And here he relates our covetousness when we have an excessive desire for something or someone. He calls it idolatry because any excessive desire is taking God from some place he belongs. We're supposed to be dead to that. Again, it seems silly at first glance, but you, you know what? We better watch it. I'm talking to people all over this room. You watch all these home improvement shows where somebody buys a house for $250,000, they put $200,000 worth of expansion in it, and then you wonder why you're not happy with your house. Duh. See, our position in Christ is a wonderful thing. And by virtue of our faith in Jesus, God has unconditionally given us some things. Our standing is in Christ. We are already forgiven, already justified, already a child of God, already sanctified, already glorified. We already have the righteousness of Jesus in our heavenly account. It is a wonderful thing. But God expects us to bring as much of our standing as possible into our state, which is the portion of our standing that we actually live out in our life. He doesn't expect us to just sit back in a chair and say, well, wow, God unconditionally loves me, gave me grace to be His Son. I'm just going to sit here. He expects us to work these things and build them into our life. We don't do these things to earn the affection of God. We don't do these things to improve our standing. Our standing is already perfect. We do these things to make more of our state like our standing. See, God does want our life to be impacted in a practical way by our salvation, to live a changed life, a better life. In fact, Paul isn't done teaching them about how belonging to Christ should impact them, but that is for another time. If you bow your head and close your eyes, why don't you use these moments just to talk to the Lord about your life?